Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the social determinants of health and resilience. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to book a training or learn more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. This episode was recorded on June 19th, 2020 during a Facebook Live series. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the episode. I'm going to talk today about the social determinants of health and resiliency. And but it's Friday and I woke up this morning to into the news, you know, just more craziness about the world. And so I wanted to share something with you and at least put my voice and opinion out there about this because I'm so pissed. Let's just say it like that. <clears throat> number 45 tweeted out this morning, and I think you know who number 45 is, Donald J. Trump. I can't even use the other word in front of his name because he's not mine. Uh, tweeted out this morning any protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters, or lowlifes who are going to Oklahoma, please understand you will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle, or Minneapolis. It will be a much different scene. Donald J. Trump. Okay, so this is Friday morning, Juneteenth, which I'm going to talk about a little tiny bit in a second. And, but I want, this is my comment. This is a vile threat, clearly a dog whistle to white supremacists and completely antithetical to our values, our constitutionally protected rights to protest. This language is used by authoritarian regimes, not democratically elected leaders. I feel so much anger and sadness about this today and fear And I cannot even begin to imagine the fear and the rage and the sadness of our brothers and sisters of color as this crazy rally is going to take place this weekend. I'm just undone. And I hope that this is a huge wake-up call to America, that this is not the country that we want it to be, that we need to grow and change as a nation and really grow up. So that's my message this morning. I'm frustrated by that tweet. And so I I felt like I really needed to uh, address it. So, however, being the delusional optimist, I do want to say happy Juneteenth, which is a celebratory day when slaves were freed And what I want to say is I'm not going to explain Juneteenth because I'm a white American 
And it's not, it, this is the first Juneteenth that I'm going to ever even celebrate because I didn't know. And I'm learning, and I'm learning from other people about what this means and the power of this particular holiday. So this is an opportunity for us to lift Black voices and learn from them and take action about the history that we, none of us were allowed to even have. So we cannot allow this transformative time in history to divide us. Rhonda Davis. Okay, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a what she commented on. And I'm so sorry, Rhonda, because it, it, when it says see more, I can't keep going. The right to protest, not loot, attack citizens and expect them not to fight back. They are destroying our towns. Riots are not peaceful and not setting well. We are frustrated watching our truckers and something. I don't know. Uh, there are, I, I hear you, nobody wants to allow looters in. However, this is not, that was not the messaging from that tweet this morning. The messaging is that we're going to, we're going to, it's a threat. Let's just be honest. It's a threat. And that's not how we treat our citizens in the United States of America as leaders, elected leaders in a democracy. That's what people do in authoritative regimes. So I, I just, I can't get on board with um, not allowing peaceful protest or it's, the tweet starts with the word protesters. That is a protected right as US citizens that we have. All right, so here's where we're at. We're gonna talk about the so social determinants of health and resiliency. Welcome to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. Today we're going to talk about a topic that I've dedicated my whole career to and understanding and continue to learn how to use the information in innovative ways to make genuine life changes. In all honesty, I may not live out to see the changes in full force, but I sure hope that I do. So let's get started. <clears throat> this episode is called Social Determinants of Health and the Great Mediator of Resilience. So what is a social determinant of health? We've been studying adverse childhood experiences and adverse cultural experiences and atypical circuitry experiences for over two decades. Adverse childhood experiences, I've done an episode on earlier, so you can go back and look at that, but we're going to talk a little bit about it still today. Adverse cultural experiences, we're living that out right now. We see the disparity. And adverse circuitry experiences, which you might not have heard of before, is the adverse, the atypical wiring that happens neurodevelopmentally in the brain that makes people act differently and be at risk due to that atypical wiring. <clears throat> So thanks to California's first Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, the ACE study has made it into the medical community and the wheels of justice move slowly and so do the wheels of change, but we're making progress. And 
you know, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's been 20 years since this, it's been over 20 years since this study was first published where we know that the social environment that children are raised in impacts their later physical health and mental health. Of all people, this is a humanity issue. This is not a race issue. So I've talked about ACEs before. They're called Adverse Childhood Experiences. You can look up the study online or you can go to one of my previous videos about it. So, but they're also referred to, when you see the word Adverse Childhood Experiences or ACEs, they're also the social determinants of health because they're the social things that happen to us that determine our later health. So the coronavirus pandemic has brought us, has just shed light in a way that we cannot ignore the disparity between the African-American community and the dominant culture of white Americans. Blacks are being completely disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. We know this, this is a fact. This is science, this is real. And because of the system that's been set up, like our systems have been set up this way in America. <laughs> so because our systems are set up this way, we blacks are treated as second-class citizens in 2020, still in 2020. So the systems include lack of access to healthcare, consistent healthcare, the lack of access to affordable, healthy food. They continue to live in segregated community, communities due to racism, systemic racism. These are all social determinants of health. And those things and other things like that lead to higher infant mortality rates, heart disease, diabetes, asthma, and a myriad of other health consequences. So this is a health issue making this population more at risk of dire circumstances and death if infected with COVID-19. So then add insult to injury, many people of color are, are, are our frontline workers. So in service of people with more privilege and power and access and ability to back away from a frontline job. So we're seeing this play out before our eyes. It's impossible to ignore. So now let's get to resilience. I call resilience and protective factors the great mediator of trauma. You'll hear me say that over and over again because I truly, at the core of my soul, believe that resiliency and protective factors are really going to lead us out of the dire consequences that come with adverse childhood experiences. So we have the science, we have the history, and now we have to put it to use right now. Like it's, it's right before our eyes. This is no time to make excuses to be divided, but we are divided right now. I'm talking to white people, please, for one minute, just join me and try to just let, just let us own the tiniest bit of privilege that we have due to color or shade of our skin. It doesn't make you a bad person to be white. It just doesn't. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't make you a bad person if you're black. It, it's just a skin color. Our genetic differences are just microscopically irrelevant, really. Privilege is not about money, and it's, it is about access. So it's not about poverty. Poverty is a consequence of having lack of privilege. It's not, privilege is not poverty. So work with me here, work with me here. I would argue that protective factors that lead to more resilience today and in the past, skin color is a protective factor. If you take two people in the exact same situation, education, and circumstance, and one is white and one is black, the likelihood is there'll be an advantage to the person who has lighter skin. So it doesn't have to stay that way. And, but we just have to, for one minute, just own, own some privilege that we have, that we have more access to certain things and certain circumstances just based on our skin color today in the U.S. So resilience means the ability to overcome adversity. COVID-19 is revealing our resilience in this area of health by illuminating the disparity of African-Americans over whites and this particular disease. So it's showing us in a really concrete way and story that we can learn from and we can harness that power of knowledge and move forward and really evolve it's okay, that doesn't make it my fault, but I, if I don't acknowledge it, then I add insult to injury. We need protective factors across all communities. We don't need to just say, oh, we're gonna do protective factors, we're gonna build protective factors into the communities of people of color. However, there are fewer protective factors in communities of color, but, we want to integrate protective factors across all communities and for all children. So because, because resilience mediates trauma for all people. So when we plan, build, and incorporate strategies that foster resilience, then we make systems and families and communities better. We've started the process by identifying adverse childhood experiences or ACEs in the doctor's office. So we're starting with patients who are at the highest risk. So that's children on Medi-Cal. We're also looking at ACEs in adult populations who are served by Medi-Cal, but primarily a target audience are children. This information will help us recognize who needs extra supports, but our doctors and pediatricians are not familiar <laughs> with how to use this information to inform their clinical decisions or access to non-existent supports. So let's say that they come, let's say that in a doctor's office, you have a quick visit, you do an, uh, a screening, you find out a child has a high ACE score and you want to provide supports for that child, but those supports don't actually exist in your community. We have a problem.
And, the, and that's going to happen. And that is going to be true. So we're at a real crossroads. I'm not saying, I'm saying this is a great thing that we're starting the process, but we are at a crossroads and we are going to have to mediate that information as well with what we know about protective factors and resilience. So, because lots of people actually have relatively higher ACE scores, but also have relatively high resiliency. And so we don't need to necessarily use our resources there. Instead, we need to use our resources with our highest adverse childhood experiences and lowest protective factor groups. So we have to use what we know about resiliency and protective factors to bridge the gap and create a launching pad even for, or especially for, our most vulnerable citizens, which are children. And they're our most pliable and changeable and, and will benefit from the impact of that more than adults. So protective factors include things like parenting support. The single most uh, strong predictor of child, a child's well-being is maternal well-being. So we need to make sure that we have maternal supports in place. That's the support of the mama. We need safe green space for children to play. We need purposefulness. When children have a sense of purpose and value to their own lives, that's a strength and resilient quality that helps them to move forward. So communication skills and social skills are another thing that we can actually teach and we can actually support because when children and people have good communication skills and effective communication skills and social skills, guess what? They're liked more. And when people are liked more, then they're treated better. So it it all flows downstream. And the most important, the one and only, if you only get to have one protective factor, then it needs to be a loving, attuned relationship. And somebody who's supportive and believes in you and sees you and listens to you, and they don't even have to be in your life on a daily basis. But the number one most supportive protective factor is a loving relationship. And so we can all do that. We don't need money. We don't need anything in order to be a loving, attuned, supportive person in another young person's life. We can enhance every single system in existence with protective factors. We can impact policing I love my friend Juanita who always talks about community policing and the benefit that that would have on building resiliency in communities. I love, I just love hearing her talk about that because she's absolutely spot on and community policing is probably something that we will move towards and and I think it's a great, a great plan. We can build protective factors into education and curriculum. Number one, let's start with wiping out our white history only policy in education and adding in a universal history of all people and all communities, marginalized communities, 
need to be integrated into the bigger picture of the story. So I don't get to 50 years old not understanding the historical meaning behind Juneteenth. Like, that's ridiculous to me that I have an advanced degree and have never come across that history in my education until I did the research myself. Like, that's just, that's just insanity to me. We also need protective factors built into our social service systems, our social work systems. The idea that social workers are just going to jump in and become the new police officers is a complete nightmare in my mind. That's not going to save anything. They're already a burnt out profession and underpaid profession. So, but we can integrate protective factors into our social service systems first by recognizing disparity and implicit bias in that system, but also infusing more supports into the system so we don't remove children from families who just need more supports. Medical care, same thing. We need to have consistent relationship-based medical care. That does not take more money or more time. And in fact, at the other end of it, it's going to save us money and time. Higher education, vocational education, and the judicial system. These are all systems that can benefit from just taking a look at how to infuse protective factors. Doesn't take much effort or even funding. It requires knowledge and a willingness to learn how to implement these kinds of innovative strategies and policies into human resources. And that's it. Like that's a start. Of course there's gonna be other initiatives and waves of things happening, but each one of us can do these things on a daily basis just by educating ourselves and learning about this. So resilient people propel themselves forward, even in the face of great adversity. So now is the time. I invite you to join me in an effort of change. Meet new people, do new things, listen to sad stories, grow and change. Just because you listen to sad stories and you acknowledge the horrors of slavery, the breaking apart of families, the selling of humans to other humans, is 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 horrible and that's hard to listen to but imagine how hard it is to be that group so it's our responsibility to listen learn and love our way past this and not let it happen again what i want to i want to look really quick here i learned so much and was so moved by their stories i didn't see the first part and i'm afraid to touch my screen um and yet there are still places where we celebrate Columbus Day. Absolutely. I think, I think um, a lot of places still celebrate Columbus Day. And lots of people think that that's a wonderful thing. Because why? We don't understand our history. We've never been taught the full picture. It's like when you have a puzzle and you're missing most of the pieces. You don't get the whole story, so you make up a story based on the information that you have. And that's where we're at with a lot of our history. 
African-American history, Native American history, LGBTQ history, all of these segments of history need to be rewoven into the historical whole and not pulled out because there's so much to learn. Remember, if we don't learn from our history, history will repeat itself. And there's a lot of things in history that we do not want to repeat. With that, I want to say one more time, happy Juneteenth. I hope if you don't know what that means, that you will go learn what that means. You will learn from a person of color if you can. And that from here on out, we can appreciate the value and the importance of this day in our future. So happy Friday. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend. You are listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. And I'm excited to say that even in the depths of despair that we are in, that I trust and believe that people together will fight our way out of this and embrace resilience for our children and our children's children. So with that, have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now go leave a life print.